In this episode, we're going to talk about why it's important to always be hiring. My guests will share some lessons learned in regards to leadership and team building. And we're going to talk about how to manage performance, especially if you're leading someone who does a job you don't actually know much about. I'm joined for this conversation by Shane Foss. Shane is an expert in business development and strategy, sales strategy and team development. After over 20 years as an executive in the medical industry, Shane launched Hooray Health, an unconventional health insurance company that works hard to provide affordable healthcare benefits for employers and employees. He loves to share insights on how managing a business has significantly changed since the great resignation, what strategies business leaders and managers can use to attract and retain employees in 2022, and how to keep teams focused and motivated. I'm excited to have him on the show. Without further ado, let's dive into it. Here's the question. How do you successfully transition into your first official leadership role, build the confidence and competence to lead your team successfully, and establish yourself as a respected and trusted leader across the organization? That's the question, and this show provides the answers. Welcome to the Manager Track Podcast. I'm your host, Ramona Shaw, and I'm on a mission to create workplaces where work is not seen as a source of stress and dread, but as a source of contribution, connection, and fulfillment. And this transition starts with developing a new generation of leaders who know how to lead so everyone wins and grows. In this show, you learn how to think, communicate, and act as the confident and competent leader you know you can be. Shane, welcome to the Manager Track Podcast. It's awesome to have you on, and I'm looking forward to our conversation. All right. Sounds good. Thanks for having me, Ramona. One of the things that intrigued me about your profile was your experience in a different range of industries and hands-on uh, leadership experience that you had, and then transitioning into building your own business. Can you tell us a little bit about your career in a nutshell and what got you where you are yeah. today? Yeah, I think, you know, for me, I'm, I'm always... A, about new experiences and learning. I'm definitely a learner. And mm -hmm. so I was really lucky to work for some great companies to learn the, um, you know, how to manage a P&L, more importantly, how to manage people. Mm -hmm. And so when I got the opportunity to start my own company, I felt I was prepared to run it successfully because I think one of the biggest challenges when you start a business is really managing people, managing expectations, and um, really staying focused on what's important. And, um, if, you know, if you don't have that experience, like I see some guys that start a business, you know, right out of whether it's college or don't go to college and start a business and, you know, God bless them. That's awesome. I'm, you know, impressed with people that do that, but it's interesting because when you don't get that other perspective, I think it takes you a lot longer to get there because really you're depending on yourself more than, you know, for me, I was really lucky. I had great mentors, great leaders that I learned from and, um, had the opportunity to not have my own money at risk, if you would. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think there's the thing early on or for people who haven't really gone through uh, the experience of, of leading is that there's a lot of things they don't know they don't know. Correct. Right. So those blind spots of, oh, what you just said, it's like I managed a P&L and it's about the people at the end of it. Uh, and how do mm -hmm. you create teams and how do you motivate and engage employees and build and develop the team as the company grows? Yeah. More so than what we may assume, which is more of the tactical expertise yeah. that schools and yeah. education system focuses on. Right. Well, I think, you know, one of my really close friends is a um, very successful businessman. He, he's, he's had the same business for, you know, 30 plus years now. They, you know, they do 20, 30 million in annualist revenue. I mean, it's a big business. And he asked me questions all the time. Like, mm -hmm. you know, do, do you think I'm at the point where I need a CFO? It's like, you needed a CFO five years ago when I told <laughs> you, right? You know, do you need, you know, what do you think on this? What do you think? You know, and it's when you don't have that organizational knowledge and experience, 
mm-hmm. it it's really hard because it honestly it, it inhibits your ability to grow and scale mm-hmm. and so from my standpoint you know i told my son when he graduated college i was like you know just take some time and learn and learn on somebody else's dime for a little bit I'm not saying you have to be there the next 30 years but just get some experience and understanding of what's going on and uh it certainly doesn't hurt yeah, a hundred percent. It's broadening the perspective, I think. And what I often talk about is developing, you know, your leadership principles and developing a method. And the more I learn about some, you know, a topic that I'm interested in personally right now is hiring practices and mm-hmm. questions in the hiring uh, in the interviews that will really f- help you figure out is this the right fit or not. And it right. for more senior leaders and people that you bring in that you want them to pick up right away you're not hiring them as interns and then training them in-house being on the lookout for someone who has figured this out and has developed a framework for how they go about building a team on their own and how they go about information gathering and making decisions becomes more and more important uh, the higher Mm -hmm. up right the the further up someone goes in their career right well and especially in a small business because when i was with striker and i had you know i had 200 people that i had in my business unit you know, if I made a mistake on a hire, I could easily remedy it. And I wasn't sunk. But when I started Hooray, I mean, I had five people. Well, if I if I screw up on one, that's, you know, that's 20% of the population, right? <laughs> so, so, you know, it, it hurts. And so, you know, one of the things that I always tell, you know, friends is I'm always interviewing, yeah. always interviewing. I mean, I, I got my CFO from, I met him two or three years before I hired him. And I told my wife, I said, I'm going to work with him someday. And, yeah. you know, and when you meet talented people and good people, I always stay in touch with them because you never know. You never know. Like we just, we just hired a lady today and my team was struggling trying to find the right candidate. And I said, man, I, you know, I know this person. I said, it's up to you guys. Take a look at her, blah, blah, blah. They hired her within a week and they're like, she's perfect for this role. And yeah. I just, I met her a few years ago. And so yeah. that's the most important part of what I do. And so like when we started the organization, I had, you know, I had three people that worked with me at my old organization that we sold in, you know, you know, and trust them. And they came over with me on this little journey and it's been great. And so when you're in the heat of battle, you know, you need to know that, you know, your partners are not going to run away. Right. Mm-hmm. And they know that, you know, they can, they can trust you. You got to trust them. And so it's uh, yeah, always, always interview. That's what I'm doing. Always interview meeting people. So, and I love that approach. Um, very specifically, though, as you're saying, you're always interviewing. What have you found to be the things to be on the lookout for as you're interviewing people? What are the criteria that the criteria that you're well, evaluating people on? So consistency is one, right? You know, some people you just talk to and they've gone from you know one position to the other. And you know, I listen to. Uh, I always ask a lot of strategy questions. You know, so what are you doing today? How are you doing that? Oh, that's interesting. You know, why would you do it that way? What's going on? You know, and. I ask a lot of questions that's in their space that they know. It's not like I'm asking them random you know, stuff about another business. And then uh, I think the biggest thing for me getting out of people is, are they going to work hard? Are they consistent in the sense that if they're sitting there asking me for a job and they're in a current role and they're really like eager to get, do something different, you know, it's not bad. There may be something, but now also my wheels start turning. I, you know, I like kind of going in and and asking them about their business. And, and um, if they really know their business, I'll ask them very detailed questions. And if they go, I'm not really sure, then, you know, that's kind of for me a a red flag because attention to detail is pretty big and Mm -hmm. you need to be able to articulate. If I'm interviewing a salesperson, I start talking about their product. I'm like, well, so, so explain to me how this, how this addresses this market or this issue, what are the issues? And if they're kind of about it, Mm -hmm. I'm not interested because 
you know, the best salespeople that I know are very detail oriented. They understand that if I ask that question, they're like just waiting for me to ask that question so they can mm -hmm. answer it and tell me, oh my gosh, here's the market opportunity. This is, and if they're excited, if they're passionate about it. And that's the other thing I really look for is passion about what they're doing. If I'm, if I'm hiring somebody in accounting or a CFO or something and they're like, yeah, I mean, it's okay. Yeah. yeah. I'm like, it's just a yeah, yeah, I just number and blah, blah, blah. Not really gonna, you know, it's, it's just not gonna fit with me because yeah. I'm very passionate, very emotional. I always try to connect with them and find something that they're passionate about as well. Cause especially on the sales side, just because whenever somebody is selling something to you, right. Mm -hmm. You ever notice that if they're like, yeah, this is a, you know, this is a mouse. It's pretty good. It's nice. Price is right. You know, whatever. Or if they're like, this is the best mouse on the market. Let me show you what, what this thing does. And nobody else does it. Right. Yeah. Now all of a sudden you're like, you're engaged. You're like, wow, really? The mouse is that much better. I don't understand what's going on. Yeah. And so, you know, you're buying it. Um, so anyway, those are just well, I, and I think it's a good reminder, you know, for myself and for others to, <laughs> probably listening to that we're constantly in these situations where we meet other people and we're representing what we do. And sometimes we may say, oh, you know, I say, oh, just I do leadership development, you know, in companies. And I can say that as of I don't want to brag. I don't want to make a big deal out of it. But no, actually. This is a moment that demonstrates my values and what I care about personally and professionally. Absolutely. And it's also a way in how do I articulate it and how I articulate or present my skill sets to the outside world. People are constantly interviewing and constantly evaluating whether that's professionally on a personal level, right? Absolutely. It's a 100%. good reminder to be aware of that. Yep. People are judging you yeah. how you dress, how you, you know, how you interact with them. I mean, it's a, it's a big deal. I think, you know, with my kids, I always try to instill, be nice to everybody. I always smile and engage and nobody cares about you. You ask about them, right? They want to hear. And so um, both of my kids actually do really well doing that now where I, I learned that from my grandfather. He was always very interested in other people. And so I'm just naturally like everybody I always meet, I can always tell you where they went to college. And because it's kind of one of those easy things, oh, where'd you go to college? What do you, you know, and then you kind of get to know them and you understand what's motivating them. And mm -hmm. so, you know, I, I just think that with the technology today and Zoom meetings, and there's this lost art of actually having a really a good conversation and engaging and really connecting with people because it's, um, you know, it, everything is virtual now, right? Yeah. Yeah. And it takes an extra effort, right? It takes an extra effort to connect mm -hmm. um, with other people and, and also transfer the, the passion that we have. As a caring and driven manager, I know you want to strengthen your leadership skills, advance your career, and lead a high-performing, engaged team. And in order to do that, as a leader, you need to lead with a system, not by shooting from your hips or reacting to everyone else around you. To do so, you need to first learn what should go into a leadership system, and second, develop your own. Now, the good news is that I teach you one must-have part in your leadership system in a concise, actionable, and yet comprehensive course focused on running successful one-on-one -on -one meetings with your direct reports. It includes over 67 minutes of tactical leadership training, plus a set of resources to make this as easy and immediately applicable for you as possible. You can either watch the video lessons or listen to it through a private podcast feed on your phone. You can get your hands on this course, which I want every single manager to have, for a nominal $19 at ramonashaw.com slash one one. That's two times the number one. You can check the show notes for the details or head on over to ramonashaw.com slash one one to get started right now. 
So you talk a lot about the great resignation and sort of what it takes on leaders, business owners and alike to engage the employees and to create a mm-hmm. work environment where people want to follow. Like you said, people that from your past companies have now joined your mm-hmm. current company. What is your perspective on this? So the great resignation is here to stay. And as a matter of fact, I think they're renaming it something, the great realignment or something now, because mm-hmm. what's happening is you've got this demographic, which my kids are in, uh, you know, I think you call them Gen Zers, where you know, it's funny is money is not as important to them or experiences are. And so, you know, good for them. You know, they're, they're willing to take some more chances, but they want to work from home. They want more flexible hours. They, you know, the gig economy is what 60 million now and growing at a 17% annual compound annual growth rate. So for us as business owners, we have to, or leaders, business leaders, we need to figure out, okay, you can sit here and complain about it, that they want to rock, you know, climbing wall in there in your office, or you want to ping pong or whatever. But the reality is, you know, that's the future of our country. And so we need to figure this out. And so mm-hmm. I think instead of fighting it, you got to really dig in. And we've instituted a you know, work from home policy. We still have a bunch of people that come in. We still, you know, we're trying to do quarterly events, but you, you've got to, um, you got to really listen to your employees, but also listen to what's happening in the market. And I think the way we went about recruiting before is going to change. And the reason is, you know, historically, if you posted a job on Indeed or Monster or whatever, you know, you'd get 50 candidates, you'd have watching you look through, maybe there's a couple that make sense or not. Well, now you're getting one, maybe two candidates. And how we recruit today is, you know, if we don't have somebody in the pipeline, shame on us, but you know, a lot of times you don't, then you've got to start looking elsewhere, right? Now we need to start looking outside and saying, all right, who do we know that would be a good fit? Who do we, you know? And so I think that's changing how we recruit. The other thing is benefits and income are changing in the sense that how we pay because there's definitely an increase in wages, but what they're looking at from a benefit standpoint is really changing. So if I had a part-time group working for me as a large retail organization before, didn't really care if they offered any type of benefit to them. Now we get the call, Hey, what can we offer this group? I was just on a call today that we won the business and it was a 14,000 life group where we just, we won the the part-time benefits for them, right? Yeah. And the reason is you talk to them and it's recruiting and retention. Yeah. And the market is very competitive. And, uh, you know, if you haven't already built your strategy on it, boy, you better hurry up because it's going to be really challenging. Even even the large organizations that traditionally they had one job posting and a thousand people would, would apply, they're not getting the high value candidates like they used to, you know, the, the high volume of the high value candidates. So yeah. um, it, it's, uh, it's going to be interesting. It's going to be really interesting over the next five years. Through this sort of shift in the marketplace, we see the power shifting right from away from the employer towards the employee. And I also like how you said we have to embrace the fact or stop resenting the fact that different generations have different preferences. Right. And I see this not just in a recruiting world or conversations, but really also as it comes to leading people from different generations we may be baffled or it's like, oh my gosh, this is beyond me. I can't even imagine this person said this to me or this person does this. And we can think it's wrong, but the more we think it's wrong, the more we create a disconnect versus actually trying to solve it and saying like, okay, it's different. I would have never said that. I would never done that, but they do. And what's the good thing about that? What can I learn from this perspective? And how can we work together and create a team that, you know, allows for these generations to come in and thrive with whatever they value and is important to them. Right. I I think it's twofold. I think first, it's a great learning opportunity 
or teaching opportunity, excuse me, to work with them if they, if, because, you know, sometimes when you're young and, you know, you're, you're aggressive, you're, you know, you, you've been in college, so you don't really know how the real world, world works. And so you're like, I don't get this. And they say something inappropriate on email. And I think it's a good teaching experience, right? I think they, mm-hmm. they can, they can learn from that. But on the flip side, we've also got to listen, right? If they, you know, I'll give you an example. We have two um, young people that work for us. We love them. They're, I mean, they're, they're like my daughters, right? They're, I mean, they're just awesome, great employees, um, but just great people. And, you know, we were talking one day and they're like, you know, I'm spending X on tolls. It takes me 35 minutes to get up an hour, almost to get home because of the traffic. And they're like, man, we'd really like to work from home. And we're like, you know what? We can make that happen. And so I think, and traditionally me, I'm a people person. I want people in the office. I want to stop in and say, hi, boy, it drives me nuts, but you know, it's, it's good for them. And it's, it's better for them because it's taxing on people, right. You know, financially and mentally, you know, when you're sitting in a car for that long. So. So speaking of remote work, um, you talk about how to transition into a remote leadership um, and do so effectively. What are some of the things that you've shifted in your approach to leading your team as you adopted this this new work setup? So videos on, right? So mm-hmm. cameras on. Um, we uh, we talk pretty much daily, almost with everybody, right? So the business leaders we have weekly hour-long sessions where, you know, we can talk through everything. We have a a leadership meeting as a group on Monday mornings, but um, our teams, they get on and we're coaching through teams, uh, video conferencing uh, daily with our, with our people. And, you know, that's really the biggest change. And so, but when we have, like, we had three new hires this week. And so they came in today and we're, you know, everybody came in the office. So, you know, it's really nice to have everybody together. And so, um, you know, that's, we, you know, it's, we just got to, it's harder to make a point to make sure that you get together as a group when you don't see each other every day. I mean, physically see each other every day. So that's something that you just gotta, you know, you just gotta put on the calendar. Like we went to a comedy club. One of our, one of our sales guys is a stand-up comedian. And so he, we literally went to, we <laughs> took the whole, whole company and we went to watch him perform when he was in town. And so that was a lot of fun. And, um, but, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I think it's just, you, you look at it differently in the sense that you just got to make sure that you're doing this, uh, you know, yeah. getting together as a group on a regular basis. Yeah. So being intentional about it. And I love how you said having these ongoing conversations and having them on the calendar on a recurring basis, right? The, yeah, oh, meetings, yeah. the team, the team leadership meetings um, and so forth. Yep. Okay. Um, one of the things that I would love to ask before we wrap up is what were some of the biggest leadership challenges that you faced as a CEO um, and that you think other people can learn from and uh, and and make make better decisions as a result of hearing hearing about your challenges and and how you yeah. overcame them. I think as a CEO, whether you're a small or large, large company, um, sales revenue is king, right? If you can't mm-hmm. sell it, then you know, no um, increase yeah, yeah in, increase sales cures all, right? That's mm-hmm. always that's been the line. The biggest challenge I had is one of the people that started with me in this business was the head of sales, and he had all the insurance sales experience. Great guy. But after two years, he just was not getting it done, right? You know, the rest of us on the team would be, you know, we'd be in early in the day and we would, you know, we would leave late at night. We were traveling. I mean, I was doing over 400 presentations a year. Oh my and, um, and my COO at one point gave me the list of, hey, this is what he's done this year. Here's what you've done this year. And when I, um, when I looked at it and I did over double of what he did, and he wasn't getting the results. I, I finally, and you know, and, and kudos to my COO. He's uh, such a you know awesome human being and an uh, incredible partner. But he kind of just said very nicely, "Hey, look, he's not getting it done," and he was right. And so, making that hard call to let him go 
So we, we sat there without a head of sales for a while. I was it, but we turned that whole thing around and, you know, it was, it was the best thing we ever did. So I think making the decision, listening to your team and not waiting, right. Um, Jack Welsh always said, I never looked back after firing somebody and said, man, I wish I would have kept them on another two months. Right. He always said, I wish I would have let him go two months before that. Right. So I think, you know, that's the hardest part about or biggest mistake I've made, you know, being the CEO is just not pulling the trigger soon enough in that situation. Can you speak a little bit about how to evaluate performance of someone who leads a different department or does something that you've never done? So let's say in this case, right, you could look at the track record of what your head of sales did and what you did. Oftentimes people, especially high senior, more senior leaders will come to me and say, how do I know? whether they're doing a good job or not. I have a gut feeling, but I can't really measure it because I don't know sure. what good enough is. A couple of things. Sales is easy. I, I, you know, I've, I've led large sales organizations my whole life. So sales is easy. You're yeah. either done or you're not. Yeah, you're yeah. Numbers, you're not, right? That's measurable. Exactly. Yeah. But, um, you know, let's say from a customer service standpoint slash implementation for us, mm-hmm. what we do is we sit down with them in the beginning and say, okay, if increased revenue and profitability is our ultimate goal, right? Mm-hmm then what metrics tie into that from your, your role? Mm-hmm. What do you have control over? And then we lay that out and then we follow those metrics. And you can do that in any scenario. That's what you follow. And then, cause in the beginning, you know, you don't know if they're good or bad. I mean, you hope they're good, but mm-hmm. and if they're not hitting their own metrics, then we've got a problem, right? Yeah. And I, I think every year you've got to reevaluate. There's a really good uh, program out there and it's, um, the book is called Traction, but they really focus on five metrics by, you know, like, so for operations, for sales, for mm-hmm. client implementation, stuff like that. So you can break it down simply into, Hey, here are the five metrics. These are the most important metrics that we got to follow. And that's mm-hmm. what you follow. And then it, it goes up to the master scorecard for everybody. Mm-hmm. And so, which is my scorecard. And so, um, I think, you know, breaking it down into little chunks. I think the biggest challenge I see with most people, when I talk to them, you know, they'll have a, a full, like five pages of this is what we're going to track. No, you're not, you're not tracking mm-hmm. that. There's no way you're tracking that. You, you need to track, you know, two to five items that move the needle. I love that. And I think this is directly applicable to anyone, regardless of how big the size of their team and where they sit in the hierarchy. When you have people and as you're building the team, get crystal clear on what are the metrics you're tracking. Yeah. Both people are fully aware of what's being tracked. Usually there's one that's highest priority, right? And then a few of those sub criteria that you're tracking. Sure. And then measure on those and check back in on those on a recurring basis. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And, and I think the, the biggest thing there is just always remember what your ultimate goal is, right? If, mm-hmm. if, if you're not in it to make money, then that's fine, right? If you're not pro- enough for profit, blah, blah, blah. But if you're in it for making money, the bottom line is how do I grow revenue and how, mm-hmm. do, how do I make it profitable? So everything should tie into that, right? So for us, you know, from a, an implementation standpoint, how do we improve participation, right? Mm-hmm. How do we, you know, how do we get more people buying the product how do we cut cost out of that how do yeah. we make more fe- efficient stuff like that and so those are the things that you know because a lot of people will say well it's how many people picked up on the text message well okay so let's let's take a look at that farther if i pick up the text message what happens well i, I go to the website and i buy a policy exactly so why don't we just break it down how many policies are you buying now you need yeah. to look at other metrics but the reality is let's judge you on you know the overall the outcome the end goal. yeah yeah yes. otherwise you're tracking too much you know my eyes get glaze over right you know too much detail yeah yeah exactly awesome shane thanks so much for sharing your story your um, perspective on business building and employee retention and what it takes to to build a team or a company for the matter of fact 
Tell us a little bit more about where people should go if they want to check out Hooray, your company, or if they want to connect with you personally. Yeah, sure. So um, you can connect personally to me on LinkedIn. You can go to hoorayhealth.com, H-O-O-R-A-Y health.com mm-hmm. and uh, learn more about what we're doing. Awesome. Thank you so much. We'll link to both of those in the show notes. Shane, thanks so much for being on the call. I appreciate it. You sharing your perspective on making the time. Thanks for asking me. Thanks, Ramona. It was a good call. If you enjoyed this episode, then check out two other awesome resources to help you become a leader people love to work with. This includes my best-selling book, The Confident Incompetent New Manager, which you can find on Amazon or at RamonaShaw.com book and a free training on how to successfully lead as a new manager. You can check it out at RamonaShaw.com masterclass. These resources and a couple more you'll find in the show notes down below.